0: Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Good morning, church. I need you to open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 33. So Austin and I have been friends for about three years. And I was up preaching Thursday night at our Thursday night worship service, and my phone started just buzzing in my pocket, and I thought, okay, Cubs are scoring a lot of runs. That wasn't it. My friend Austin texted all of our friends in this group, and this is what he said, pray for me. I have to hear Mark preach four times this weekend. So if you don't want to support campus Christians, don't. Uh, That's all I'm saying here today. No, absolutely. Uh, I came from a town in Michigan where at Central Michigan University, we were very active in the campus ministry. And if you don't know this, what they're doing at Pitt State is as vital as any lesson they learn. It is so important to have community in a place where you're being challenged intellectually and socially every day of your life. So we believe in what they're doing, and I'm glad he's here in spite of the fact he has to hear me preach over and over and over. Hey, we are beginning a new series. In fact, I wrote that this morning we're going to begin a short series, but what isn't short after three years in the Gospels, right? Every series from now on will be short. Uh, But it's a series that we're going to take what we learned in the Gospel, and we're going to apply it to the best parts of being a follower of Jesus. How are we to take that information and grow from it? And I'm going to ask you to do something I normally don't ask because it makes it sound like, hey, come hear me talk. But I'm really going to challenge you to make your participation and your presence in this place for the next five weeks, whether it's Thursday night or Sunday mornings, that you make it a priority because what we're going to talk about is some of the most important things we're going to be addressing for our own spiritual development going forward. And so I'm going to challenge you to consider that. Make this time together with your church family more important than maybe you have in the past and see what God does with it. Why did Jesus do everything we talked about for over th- or almost three years? Well, if, if I can, take one moment and one statement of Jesus and encapsulate what we need to take from it. Let's look at John 17. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, said these words, Father, I want those you have given to, uh, me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me, because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love that you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. This is why Jesus came to do what he came to do. Jesus actually praised that night these words, and I want you to think about it with me today. Jesus prays that what he had with the Father... We would have with the Father. He doesn't pray that God overwork us or God keep us safe and happy. He prays that the relationship he had with God would be found by each one of us that we might have the same relationship with God he had. That's the end game. And how do we discover that? How do we, how do we grow in this way? There was a survey done by the Barner Research Group three years ago, and they asked people why they attended church. And here's the overwhelming response. The reason, no, and i to—I got to qualify this, the reason people attended church regularly and faithfully, they made it a priority, the answer was to experience God in a deep and profound way, exactly what Jesus prayed we'd get, that we would have with God what he had with God. And to be able to understand that, Jesus said, Father, you showed him my glory, and I want to show him your glory. And this is the end game for all of us, to understand and grasp and depict the glory of God. But I'm going to need to explain that this morning. As we begin these five weeks together, looking at how do we get the experience with God that Jesus had with him. And to have that relationship, it all falls to that word glory. So to be able to do that, I want to take you all the way back to Exodus chapter 33. If you don't know the background of the Old Testament, let me give you just a quick snapshot to catch you up. The people of Israel led by Joseph, were brought into Egypt to be protected from the Great Famine. For 400 years, however, there was a new Pharaoh that didn't remember all that Joseph had done, and he entrapped and enslaved all of the Israelite people. For 400 years, they lived as slaves, and God called Moses to go in and tell Pharaoh, let God's people go. And it began the process of the exodus. God led the people out of Israel, and he brings them to a mountain called Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb, depending on which book of the Old Testament you're reading, and multiple names of these places. But you might know it best as Mount Sinai. And God brings them to this mountain, and he calls Moses up on the mountain to meet him. But he tells everyone else, Stay off the mountain. I am going to enter the mountain. And if any of you in a sinful state touch the mountain while I'm on it, you're dead. Any animal, any human, Touch the mountain. This is a moment that he has their attention. This is not a casual encounter. This is the most high God showing up on earth. And you need to be really careful when you encounter God. And the fear that you have of encountering God is, is just simply because he is and you're not. And so Moses goes on the mountain. And we know that he's on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. And the people at the base of the mountain must have concluded that Moses had died. Because they decide to begin to worship what they did in Egypt. Because this God is so remote and so different, they go back to melting down all of their gold and they make a calf. They would have worshipped this as one of the gods of Egypt, and they were going back to worshipping the gods. And Moses comes down the mountain. You remember Charlton Heston with stone tablets. He comes down the mountain and he tosses... The stone tablets on the ground in fury. And God says to Moses, these people deserve to be destroyed. And Moses said, don't do that for your namesake. Not for them. They've earned it. But for your own namesake, don't call us out into the wilderness and watch us all die. And God loves Moses' response. God was going to do what God was going to do, but he loved that Moses stood in the gap for his people and he forgave them. And then in chapter 33, listen to the words of God. Then the Lord said to Moses, leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you, because you are a stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you on the way. Now, if you ever wonder, can you relate to God? Have you ever been in a car full of kids? Have you ever threatened to pull it over? Church, talk to me. God's watching, right? This is what God's about to do here, isn't he? He goes, I don't know if I can travel with you folks. I may pull the car over and wipe you all out. Verse 4, when the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn and no one put on any ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, tell the Israelites, you are a stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you, even for a moment, I might destroy you. Now take off your ornaments, and I will decide what to do with you. So the Israelites stripped off their ornaments at Mount Horeb. Jump down to verse 17. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? This is a powerful moment. I want to teach you three things about the glory of God this morning. To understand, to have the relationship with God that Jesus did, the glory of God must become something we grasp to the best of our ability. So there's three things I want to show you. The first is this. Each of us has been created for his glory. This is not an unnatural expectation. Each of us knows and can be overwhelmed by the glory of God, and I mean overwhelmed to the good spot, not to the destruction, but the construction of who we are. The paraphrase of what God is saying here is he said, these people keep turning their hearts back to slavery, and I am trying to free you from slavery. But then he says to Moses, I'm going to take you to the land, and I'm going to drive out all the inhabitants of the land because this is yours. And I'm going to give you everything you need. You're going to be socially powerful, you're going to be financially powerful, and you're going to have land at your disposal. But I'm not going to go with you. I won't be with you when this happens. Dr. Timothy Keller says on this text that God is offering the very religion that most people actually want. We want the blessings of God without the presence of God. We live our entire lives asking God to bless us and cooperating and collaborating with him at no level. It's a harsh statement, but isn't it true? I mean, think about our daily lives. Can't almost every single person in this room, haven't we learned to live our lives completely separate of God's influences or interactions? We just do our, we do our do. We do it. And then if God shows up, great. And if we need God's help, we holler. But having experienced the presence of God, Moses' response is counterintuitive. God says, I'm going to give you all the blessings that I promised to give you, but I'm not going to go with you. And Moses said, what good are all the blessings of life if you're not here? See, once you've been in the presence of God and tasted of his glory, nothing else compares. Having experienced the presence, Moses said, I want nothing if I don't have you. What Chip sang during our time around the table is such a powerful song. Nothing else will do. And this is what Jesus wants for us is to be so dependent on the presence of God that everything else pales in comparison. And instead of it using us, we get, we're allowed then to use it to bring glory to the Father. So if God created us, and I'm betting my life he did, why? The answer is simple. The scriptures tell us throughout the scriptures to testify to the glory of God. What does it mean to glorify God? What does it mean to To do this, it means to experience, to radiate, and reflect. This is what you and I were created to do: to experience the glory of God, to know it as our own, and to understand who He is through His glory. What He shows us, we it can resonate with us. We can experience that, and then we are to reflect it and radiate it to the world. We're to live in such a way that what we do is always defined by why we're doing it, and that is so that people can understand the God who has been so good to us. But why would God need to create a universe of beings to glorify him? Doesn't that sound, I mean, okay, let's step away from the sermon for a minute. Doesn't that sound egotistical? That God created all of these people and the reason he created them is so we make him look good? Doesn't that sound hard? Like, wow, that guy's got a huge ego. Well, he does if this is true. If God is alone and experiences nothing in relationship, So he creates creation to love him. That is egotistical. But that's a false understanding of who God is. You see, God is not alone. Remember Jesus said, Father, restore the glory that you gave me from the beginning of time. You see, because God is not what theologians call unipersonal, one. God is three in one. He's triune. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God has been in a loving relationship before time even began. So because of that, God did not create us because he had a need. God created us to share his love. And the glory that you and I were created to reflect is not because God needed us. It's so that we could experience his perfection, his beauty, his glory, his magnificence, so we could not only experience it, but radiate it and reflect it. You see, so this concept of glory is not a curse. It's not a punishment. It's not a payback. It's actually the greatest blessing we'll ever experience. That's why Jesus said in John 17, 24, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. God did not create us because he needed us. Everything we give God, he already had with the Son and the Spirit. So, not only are each of us created to reflect his glory, but each of us are able to see his glory. We can experience it. And that's what's missing in most of our lives. Our unhealthy balance of trying to compensate with money or with sex or with fame or with power or with coordinating all of our name and our fame. Man, we're living in a world where people are saying, Look at me, look at me, look at me. And Jesus said, No, you were created to say, Look at God. And find yourself in that, verses seventeen and eighteen in Exodus thirty-three. And the Lord said to Moses, "I will do the very thing you have asked, because I am pleased with you and I know you by name." And Moses said, "Now show me your glory." I love this. God's like Moses. I know you, and you know me. You see, this is what God wants with us. He wants a relationship. A a relationship. Jesus said, "I no longer call you my servants. I call you my friends." And I want this. And they love that. Remember, when Jesus said, I'm leaving, they're like, don't leave us. When we get the glory of God and the presence of God, nothing else will matter. So Moses says, show me your glory. And God says, I will show you my glory, but you cannot see my face. Now, that seems strange, except please understand this, that the glory of God, the synonym in the Hebrew language for the glory of God is actually to see the face of God. It's to know him. It's to see his face. I have strange memories. What I remember as a kid is sometimes haunting. Do you guys have that same sensation? My parents are like, do you ever remember anything good? Yeah, I do. I remember my mom standing me on the toilet seat, not with the hole open, with the lid down, standing me on there after a a bath one time when I was a real tiny kid, and she was counting the freckles on my nose, and I had three. And I don't know why I remember that moment, except it was intimate, and it was loving, and it was special. So, mom, if you're listening, I do remember good things. But I remember that moment, it wasn't because I had three freckles on my nose, it was because my mom was right there loving me and combing my hair and drying me off from the bath and doing all the stuff before I put my pajamas on that just are a fond, beautiful memory. Like Maggie talked about with her kids, presence. And see, and God says to Moses, I know you intimately, and now you're seeing my glory, and it's rich and it's beautiful and it's drawing. You see, we live in a world today that we don't understand what glory is because we don't know who God is. So glory threatens us instead of blesses us. So let me tell you a few quick things about glory, and then we'll talk about this more over the next few weeks. It's not all going to be about glory, but if glory isn't why we're pursuing God, we will never find Him. First thing is glory means weight. It means understanding that God is so much bigger than we can comprehend. So what He does reveal to us, we need to hold dearly. The average person says things like, I like to think of God-like, or I can't believe in a God-like, or I don't want a God-like. Well, here's the truth. There's no glory in that kind of God. That is simply, it is simply an experiment in your own ego and your own desires, your own kingdom. It's not allowing the weight of God to alter you. It's saying, I'm gonna fix God, so he's what I want. The weight of the glory of God will remind us how big and immense he is and we will accept what he offers us because we understand that beauty and glory that's his. To discover who God is is to allow him to reveal himself to us and I'll talk about how that happens in just a moment. Secondly, glory means experiencing his substance or matter. Meaning that when you understand who God is, drawing close to him must become the most important thing to you. And yet, we live in a world with a foot in the world and a foot in the kingdom, and we're trying to alter it back and forth. And Jesus said, you can't serve two masters. You you cannot. To experience the glory is to experience his substance, how it is bigger and more important than anything else. Thirdly, the word face or presence means relationship, and I think I've already addressed that. I'd like to use Psalm 16 this morning to show you where we're heading as a church. The psalmist says, you have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Drawing close to God is what you and I were created for, and only there will we really find out what life is to be. And there is a path of life in which we are being drawn toward God, and that path will take us. It's a narrow path, Jesus says, and not many people are willing to walk it, but those who do find life. And so the psalmist is calling us to this pathway. We've entitled this series, or this concept that we're gonna be doing with the church pathways. We're entitled, how do we draw close to a God who is already drawn close to us? How do we open ourselves up to his presence and life that can be found in him? And as a church, we're gonna be introducing not only these concepts, but some resources for you to be able to draw close to God. Not, not recipes, but experiences that the Bible teaches us draws us close to a God who has drawn himself close to us. Now, here's how we're gonna talk about this. We believe that everybody is in one of four positions on these pathways. Some of us are exploring Christ. You're not a disciple of Christ, not because you're a bad person. You have not made the choice to give your life to Jesus, but you're, as I like to say, kicking the tires. You come to church to figure out what this all is, to understand who Jesus is more, and to grow, and we're glad you're here. Some of us are growing in Christ. You have a personal relationship with Jesus. It's a little bit off and on. You've obeyed him. You've confessed him. You've repented of your sins. You've publicly proclaimed him. You've been baptized into Christ. You have done the things that you've been asked to do, and you're learning to grow in him, and you're wanting more of him. Then there are some that are close to Christ. You've experienced what it means to depend on Jesus, and you want to dive deeper. You You just keep coming closer to him, and you're experiencing not just church and religion, but Jesus. And there are some that are Christ-centered. They have learned through life that Jesus is the only reason they live and everything else is around him rather than around them. Wherever you are on this pathway, we want to encourage as a church to keep walking with Christ and grow into each phase, growing deeper and deeper until he becomes the center of your existence. His glory becomes your purpose. You see, Moses knew at that moment, that crossroad of his life, that he had to make a decision. Go on to worldly success in the promised land or wait on the Lord? And he chose to wait on the Lord. You ever climbed a mountaintop and overlooked a vista? Have you ever had that moment? I know I've shared, because after 10 years, I'm out of stories. And the most powerful place I've ever seen with my eyes. I've been on a plane that went over the the Himalayan mountains. I I have seen some beautiful things in my life. I've been spoiled rotten to get to travel the world. But when I stood at the Grand Canyon, nothing has ever more mesmerized me or altered me or hit me with its glory than the Grand Canyon. And let me tell you what I learned. After seeing the Grand Canyon, a cliff is just a cliff. I've had people say, hey, you going down to Arkansas and see those cliffs? Yeah. It ain't the Grand Canyon. Church, you with me when I'm talking about here? When you understand something that's really has real glory, nothing else will compare to it. Moses experienced that. But to be able to climb up A hill to a vista. Do you notice how very often God calls people to climb up mountains to meet with Him because He wants them to understand how big the world is and that vista alters our terrain? We're calling this the pathway because we're going to be calling some of us to climb a little bit uphill with some maximum effort to be in places you can meet God and grow. It will take some work to draw close and out of this world to see the vista in front of us. This series is not going to be focused on how we do it. The series is going to be focused on why we do it. Verse 18 of Exodus 33. Moses said, Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. But he said, You cannot see my face, for no one can see me and live. Then the Lord said, There is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. And when my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I pass by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. I know that seems strange to us, but understand, the face of God is the holiness of God and someone with sin in their life cannot see the holiness of God and survive. God is not being mean here. He's being protective. Jump down to Exodus 34, verses five through eight. Then the Lord Came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshiped. Moses knew in this moment he was in the presence of the most holy God who was also loving and compassionate, and it blew his mind. God says, I I will show mercy and compassion on who I choose, and I will hold to account sinners. And Moses falls on his knees realizing that God is showing him mercy, but at the same time, Moses will stand in front of God as judge, and he bows and worships. What does this mean? There are degrees of God revealing himself to us. And when Moses said, show me your glory, remember we were made for this, and we can see the glory of God, but the third point is that we each must experience the glory. We can't just know about it. We have the privilege of experiencing it, so it puts us on our knees and causes us to worship. How do we experience the glory of God? I'm going to give you four things this morning. If you're not a note taker, I'd encourage you, start. Because these four things set us up for the pathways that God's called us to. The first is a question you get to ask yourself. In fact, the first two are. And then I'm going to ask you two questions. The first question is, why do I want this? If you want the glory of God, it's available to you. You were created for it, you can see it, and you can experience it. It's why Jesus came. But why do you want this? Notice that Moses didn't ask for God's glory so he could get a rush. He didn't want the glory of God so he could run down the mountain and tell everybody what he saw that they never saw. He asked to be set apart. Verse 16 says, what else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? This is interesting because the word distinguish actually means to be set apart or our word Holy. He said, how will I be any different if you're not with us? He understood that the presence of God was enough to take away his sin and cause him to live a life for the glory of God. To be a holy nation meant you were going to be a community of such love, peace, justice, and beauty that the rest of the world would look at this community of faith and think that must be from God because no man could produce that. This is what he's called you and I to be. A community of such love, beauty, and justice that the world says it has to be God. The second question I want you to ask yourself then is to really pursue your heart this week and say, why would I want the glory of God? Because if it's for the rush, don't. You won't get it. If it's for the beauty of God, pursue it. Second question is, is this the most valuable thing I want? Is this really what I want? Or do I just want to add it to my portfolio of things that make me feel good about my life? Because... What happens here is fascinating. In verses 4 through 6, three different times, God says, take off your ornaments, don't wear any ornaments, and they put their ornaments away. What does that mean? Is God against uh, jewelry and against makeup and against fancy clothes? No, that's not what he's talking about. Remember what they did in the mountain? They took all of their riches and they made a golden cap. Their security was not in God. Their security was in their own possessions and what it could empower them to have. And God simply says, get rid of the things in your life that are giving you this false sense of security. Take off the gold that makes you feel important. Take off the things that set you apart. So that's what he does. God is saying, am I the most valuable thing or are there other things in your life that you're protecting with the same pursuit that you pursue me? Now those are the questions you ask yourself. Here's two questions I want to ask you this morning. Can you ask God to reveal his glory? Will you? Will you spend some time this day? I'm not talking about when you get to your week and you have your quiet time. Will you spend some time? Go for a walk this afternoon. Sit in a quiet place this afternoon. Gather with your family at the meal and ask God to do the one thing you know he wants to do. Reveal yourself to me. Because he will. Jesus came to do that. So we know that to to see the glory of God is to see Jesus. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen what? You've seen the Father. So whatever we do on this pathway, it's to find Jesus in all of it so we can be drawn closer to the God who drew close to us in Christ. Remember, because once you've seen the Grand Canyon, a cliff is just a cliff. A hill is just a hill. It's beautiful in its own, but it's not the real deal. And Jesus says, I want to show you my Father, then you'll see him. And the fourth thing I want you to think about is, will you position yourself to receive it? Jesus, on the Sermon on the Mount, said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. Will you hunger and thirst after the glory of God? And make it, position yourself, do the work to walk uphill a little bit, to get away from the noise of the world, Jesus so many times in scripture this week I was reading would go up by himself up on a mountain to get away from the world to be with who? He positioned himself to draw close to his father. So do you want to know him more? Is it your heart's full desire? Will you ask him to reveal his character to you? And will you take the time to walk the pathway to see what he wants to show you? Because if you will, this is what he wants to do. You see it's interesting when he when Moses said to God show me your glory God didn't throw off lightning he didn't create an earthquake or a tornado. He didn't, he didn't put on a big show. He simply spoke words over Moses. And he said, I will be compassionate and merciful where I choose, and I will judge all people for the sin to all generations. No one will escape the sin that they've committed. And we think, how can he be loving and compassionate and holy and just at the same time? And I want to take you to where we were just a few weeks ago in the gospel series as we conclude. Jesus is on the cross, dying for the sins of the world, and he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Hold that thought. Moses is on a mountain with God, and he says, reveal yourself to me. And God says, I will show you my back. I cannot show you my face. And on the cross, Jesus, for the first time, who had seen the face of God in intimate relationship with him, on the cross, for the first time, saw the back of God. And he cried out in panic. What Moses said that day, I would rather not live than live without you. And Jesus saw the back of God on the cross so that you and I could see the face of God. Church, are you with me? The cross allowed you and I to have an intimate relationship with the Father. That's why Jesus prayed that night. Glorify me on the cross so I can reveal your glory to your people. God wants nothing more than this. John 1, 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. You might need someone to pray with you this morning. Because when I ask you these questions, you answer some of them yes and some of them no. No. Maybe the question, is he the most important thing, hurts your heart a little bit because if I'm honest, I'm gonna, this is Mark now. If I'm honest, it's not nearly as important as it needs to be. It's, it's occasionally important, but is it always primary important? No. I can, get, I can get more angry over a ball game that gets lost in the 10th inning than I can over injustice in our world. My lack of strength. You see, I'm on the pathway to Church. And sometimes I'm discovering Christ and sometimes I'm Christ-centered, but it's a journey for all of us. And maybe this morning you feel the need to say, I want to follow Jesus. We'd ask you to go to one of these tables with the lamps lit or meet us at the prayer center in the foyer. Maybe you want someone to pray with you because walking on the pathway has not been something that's come easy to you and you need help. That's why we're here. We're not here just to point you. We have people that have been up the mountain with God and will come back down and walk with you up the mountain. They'll show you how to get there. Call them Sherpas if you want. It works. We're a community of faith. You're not in this on your own, but you must choose to get on the path because the way is narrow and not everybody chooses it, but those who do find life. And that's our invitation this morning. We'd love to walk with you as God reveals himself to you. Let's stand together.